evening and welcome to Guys Guys Radio. This is your host, Robert Manny. Welcoming you to the show, it is Monday, June 27th, 2016. You ever ask yourself why you can't meditate? Do you meditate? Do you have problems with it? Everybody's got so much monkey chatter going on internally and so much racing through their minds and we're exposed to media where the images flash by us so quickly we can't even process things before it gets embedded in our subconscious. Meditating has gotten challenging over uh, modern times. And we have a fantastic guest, Nigel Wellings. He's got a book called Why Can't I Meditate? How to Get Your Mindfulness Practice on Track. And he's going to join us in a few minutes. So we're very pleased to have him with us today. Let's talk about what's going on out there in the whole guys, guys world. As you know, Guys, guys, movement is all about when men and women can be at their best, everyone wins, and also better men, better world. So what does that really mean? Well, it all started with my novel, The Guys, Guys, Guide to Love. You can pick that up on Amazon or any, a lot of bookstores still have it, but uh, Amazon and the e-tailers are probably the best place to get it quickly and easily, and you can check out the reviews there. The Guys, Guys, Guide to Love, it's a story of two guys in advertising competing for love, sex, power, and money for their we began Guys Guys Radio a couple of years ago. We're approaching 190 and then our 200th podcast. All of them are available on iTunes, Blog Talk Radio, Stitcher, and TuneIn Radio. You can also follow me uh, on my website, robertmanni.com, where I do a weekly blog as well as there's lots of videos on there. There's uh, links to the radio, media appearances, etc., if you want to hook up with me on Facebook, Robert Manny Author is my professional page. Twitter at Robert Manny, where most of my information gets tweeted out. And YouTube, Robert Manny Author. We've got a series of videos on there, and there'll be more to come. So, what's happening in the world today? What do we have going on? Well, uh, here we are in New York City. We're broadcasting live from our studio in Harlem, which is uptown in New York, a little north of Central Park. And uh, we've had spectacular weather for the last couple of weekends. I'm finally going to get a vacation uh, starting this week, this Wednesday. I'm going to head down to Jersey Shore. I have a little place there and bring my wife and my young son. And we're going to take a week off right to 4th of July. And uh, I'm working on a new book, a sequel to the novel, The Guy's Guy's Guide to Love. So I'm excited about that, seeing if I can crank out five pages a day. Five pages a day equals... Over two months, you got a 300-page manuscript. Easier said than done, but you got to do it. You got to be in it to win it, and that's just how it is. Uh, What's been happening here in New York? uh, Yesterday, we had a big LGBT parade. It was massive. I was out there with my wife and son. Uh, We just went downtown because we wanted. We went to Koreatown for lunch. My wife is of Korean extraction, and then we. We bring my son along, and he has his little scooter, so we kind of move, move him around by scooter. He can just stand on it, and we kind of pull it along. And we went down to, he likes uh, a little water park, uh, well, a park, actually, that has a little bit of water uh, down by uh, 7th Avenue South and around close to, close to 14th Street. Uh, and so we weaved our way through the crowds, but it was such a boisterous, such a boisterous, exuberant crowd um, and I guess partially it's due to the fact that um, we had the tragedy in Orlando a few weeks ago with the LGBT community and so many deaths taking place. And uh, 
And just the fact people want to get out there and say, hey, we're, we're you know, we're here. We're not going to be denied. So good for them. Um, we've got the 4th of July coming up next week. So it seems like in New York, there's a, there's a parade every week. There was the Puerto Rican week, uh, day parade a couple of weeks ago. And just right through the summer, there's uh, something every weekend. There was two big races in Central Park. So I'm a runner. And it's great that I live near Central Park, so I just walk over and uh, do the 6.2-mile loop. It's all hills, and it never gets easier, but it keeps me in good shape. And um, I check the schedule every week because I want to make sure I don't get – I don't run in the official races. I've done three marathons, and I've run the New York Marathon twice. But I try to get to the park before the big races tee up because I'd just rather uh, run on my own. And – so I've got to get up earlier and earlier because there's lots of races during the summer. Um, what else is happening out there? Well, uh, we have the uh, big so- soccer is getting really huge in America. And where I live, uptown New York, there's a lot of beer gardens and stuff like that. And people are really into soccer. So there was the Copa America where uh, Chile beat Argentina in penalty kicks last night. It was a nothing, nothing game. It went down to penalty kicks. So, Good that Americans are finally wrapping their head around, you know, how that all works with the penalty kicks and a lot, not a lot of scoring because Americans like a lot of action. But, you know, soccer is the beautiful game. And today I was watching a little bit of uh, Italy beat Spain 2 nothing, And for that, they get to play Germany next. And England lost to Iceland, which is a huge upset. And they're both in the quarterfinals. So you'll have uh, Iceland play France and Germany play Italy and the winners play each other. And then there's there's eight other teams in Europe. And uh, I guess that all leads into the Olympics. And then two years from now, we'll have the World Cup, which I think is in Russia next time in 2018. So it's amazing, though. Uh, soccer gets bigger and bigger in the U.S. And the U.S. got into the semifinals. They came in fourth. But that's progress. It's progress. And we're getting there. It's just going to take some time. Um, the biggest news, I guess, is this whole BritX thing, and maybe Nigel can share a little bit of light on that, but basically the uh, uh, Great Britain has kind of moved out of the uh, European Union. They've always had their own currency, but now they've kind of stepped out of the uh, agreement with uh, the other countries, and uh, so far it's been disastrous from a stock market standpoint, and now you've got a lot of other countries who are involved in a similar populist, populist movement saying, you know, we don't want to be part of what looks like uh, globalism. Now, you could argue there's good things about doing things global, and you, have, you could argue that, you know, if there's, true, there's two laws in life, it's we are all one, and there's enough for everybody. But unfortunately, it's not quite as simple as that in terms of how things are executed. So everything becomes tricky. So you get populism, which could become walls and racism and keeping people out, Well, you could have populism, which respects the rights of the individuals. It all depends how it pans out when it gets down the line. As usual, I hear a a quick uh, soundbite of uh, an alarm outside that we get every once in a while on the show, but uh, that's that. Um, Also, we have Trump versus Clinton in the U.S., and it's basically the campaign's all about mudslinging how each candidate hates the other one and why they're wrong. We've heard very little about what they'll do, very little about positivity, very little about how they're going to bring people together. It's all about you suck. No, you suck. And it's really sad. And people are really fed up and disgusted with the whole thing. And it's going to get worse as we get into the summer and we get to the, uh, we get to the conventions, et cetera. 
Um, what else we have? Uh, for the New York Knicks, they just picked up Derrick Rose from the Chicago Bulls, a big pickup there. And we're seeing if Phil Jackson can put together a real team. You've got Major League heading towards the All-Star break. I've been in a fantasy baseball league for rotisserie baseball, I guess you'd call it, for 25 years. I stepped out of it this year, and I haven't watched even one game, and I haven't missed it at all. I've got other things to do and kind of gave baseball a rest. And uh, you know what? I'm glad I did. We've got football coming up soon, fantasy football, getting ready for the drafts and all that. That'll happen in August. And uh, then we're back into the fall. So I hope everybody can get together, enjoy a great summer, the hot weather, and really take care of yourselves, have fun, and really make the most of it. So let's talk about our special guest for this evening, Niall, Nigel Wellings. He's calling us from the U.K., He's a, so it's late there. It's after midnight. It's, uh, he's a psychoanalytic, psychoanalytic psychotherapist. He's been teaching writing about the relationship between psychotherapy and Buddhism for the past 16 years. Director of training at the Center for Transpersonal Psychology, founding member of the Forum of Contemplative Studies, facilitator on the Bath and Bristol Mindfulness courses. And with Elizabeth McCormick, he has written and edited several books, in cor- including Nothing to Lose, Psychotherapy, Buddhism, and the Living Life. Most recently, he's contributed to an essay to the new book edited by Anthony Molino, Crossroads in Psychoanalysis, excuse me, Buddhism and Mindfulness. And he's got this book. It's called Why Can't I Meditate? And you'd think like, okay, well, you're probably restless and you can't keep your head together. But Nigel takes a really deep dive on it, and it's very interesting what he comes up with and what some of the experts share with him. So let's bring him on right now from the UK, Nigel Wellings. Good yeah. evening, Nigel. How are you? Good evening to you. Tired. It's ten past. It's quarter past twelve. All right. Well, we'll, we'll go I'm quickly using and then to keep my eyes open. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sorry, but I thank you, and our listeners thank you for uh, being here with us. Um, Let's get right to it. Um, I got a lot of questions, and I had some questions, of course, sent to me. But um, who do you think, after reading through the book, who do you think this book's geared to? Uh, is it really for long-term uh, meditators, uh, meditators uh, who uh, have teaching teachers and gurus, or for novices, or all three? Um, the book's for people who are trying to practice meditation and particularly mindfulness meditation, whether they come from a Buddhist background or whether they come from a secular background. But whether it's Buddhist or secular, it is people who are want to practice quite seriously. So it's not kind of like pop mindfulness. It's, when I wrote it, it was for people who really wanted to have a daily practice and were struggling to create the discipline and the circumstances to make that possible. So let's talk about, just about everybody who takes it seriously. Mm-hmm. Now, wh- wh- let's talk about that a little bit. Uh, when you say take it seriously, um, a lot of people meditate, and part of what a lot of how a lot of people meditate is like uh, I would say not taking it seriously. Basically, just you know calming down from the mental chatter and kind of being. And um, how do you define serious? And I'm not asking you to put you on the defensive by any means, but I'm just curious as to when you say serious, what, what, what do you mean by that? Uh, there's, as mindfulness has become more and more popular, there's, there's more and more stuff out there which kind of gives us the one-minute mindfulness practice and that kind of thing. And although I'm not saying that those kind of approaches are utterly without value, 
Um, the truth of it is, is that mindfulness has been around for two and a half thousand years within Buddhism, a little bit longer with its secular expression. And it's something that people give their whole lives to. It's not something they kind of add on to make themselves feel better. So, so whilst feeling better isn't a bad thing, there is, you know, it's like learning the piano. If you just play chopsticks and you learn to play chopsticks, you're not really playing piano, you're just playing chopsticks. You practice some more and some good music eventually comes out. That's what I mean by serious. Okay. Now, for yourself, um, what has been your personal experience with mindfulness, meditation, and the barriers and some of the blocks that you talk about in the book? Oh, well, I mean, we all write books, don't we? Because we're, they're books for ourselves. I mean, True. I'm certainly not an expert on this. Um, I got involved in practicing meditation, Buddhist meditation, when I, I suppose I was about 20. And I kind of did it in a kind of haphazard way for about 10 years. And then I had a 10-year gap where I didn't do any at all. I was training as a Jungian analyst, which oddly came out as rather barren for my meditation practice. And uh, and then I got back into it. And, and so I've really got a lot of experience about doing it in an ad hoc kind of random way, not doing it, and then finding value in going back to it. So, you know, my, my story is, is in that book, really. I know how difficult it is to practice. I know the kind of stuff that practice brings up personally. And when I spoke to a, a whole selection of people teaching mindfulness, some secular, some Buddhist, um, everybody said, yeah, if we begin to sit down on our cushion... Um, and we sit there long enough, then we begin to notice actually how difficult it is. Maybe the first thing is our bottom begins to hurt or our knees ache, and we immediately want to get up. Um, maybe we stay a little bit longer, and then thoughts and emotions that we'd rather not actually be conscious mm -hmm. of become clear to us. We become aware of them, and we think, oh, maybe I just need to look at my emails, have a look inside the fridge. Uh, you know, and then if we stay longer still, then stuff really, really buried deep down inside of us. In some, on, you know, in some people's case, not everybody, but sometimes it comes up. And that's not a bad thing because mindfulness is designed to give us a calm mind so that stills us and slows us down a bit. And then from that slow place, it begins to give us insight into who we really are. And I think just about all the meditation teachers in the book agreed that that relationship for many of us was a little unsettling, not something we necessarily wanted. Now, for for the layman, if you will, um, uh, do you, how much time do you recommend that they spend medita in meditation to get the most out of it? Um, to be and 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 while doing so. Should they go into it with a question in mind or just kind of a blank slate? So, for instance, if you meditate, if you set aside, and I think this would be a lot, 30 minutes a day for most people who have regular nine-to-five type jobs, and they're doing it consistently, it seems like, okay, I'm not saying that's what your definition is of mindfulness, but it's a good practice. And um, as part of that, once they're kind of into the flow and have been doing that for a few months or a few years, should they 
be going into it with uh, questions in mind or just going into it for the sake of going into it and kind of just slowing things down? Okay, there's two questions there. Yep. Um, how long to do it? Let's take that one first. Um, okay. When we start people off in the in the mindfulness courses that we that we teach, we we teach um, a practice that requires people to sit for half an hour a day. Okay. Um, I know John Kabat-Zinn, who started the mindfulness-based stress reduction in the States, um, asked people to do it a little bit longer. I think 45 minutes, but 30 minutes is a stretch, particularly when we're we're absolutely new to it. Now, it may just be that, that we find that overwhelming and we can't do it. And so if we could do 15 minutes a day as a starter and do it regularly, that would be better than doing 30 minutes just now and then. Mm-hmm. And if we could only do five minutes a day but do it regularly, that would be okay as well. Because what we're trying to do is actually create a meditation habit, which is a mm-hmm. bit like cleaning our teeth. You know, you don't yep. think about cleaning your teeth. You just get up and do it. Right. And once we've got that habit in place, then we can begin to build, you know, make it a little bit longer, a little bit longer. So uh, so the answer to the question, how long, 30 minutes is good. But what's more important is the habit and the regularity because everything builds from there. Um, so the second question, what was it? it? was how do we go into it? Well, that's a question about mindfulness, isn't it? Well, mindfulness is, is really just sitting and being present with something perhaps like our breath or the sensations in our body. And every time that we find ourselves distracted, I think you spoke of monkey mind yep. at the beginning of your program, mm-hmm. you know, thoughts about the past, the future, fantasies, you know, they, they, they will happen within a couple of minutes. Just really noticing that we become distracted and then just bringing our attention back to, let's say, the breath. So what happens with that, repeatedly doing it over and over and over again, uh, we begin to build some concentration, and with concentration comes a little bit more of a tranquil mind, a calming mind. And as the mind becomes calmer, it begins to see more clearly. So it's not about cognitive questions. It's not about trying to ch- achieve a particular state of mind and hold it. It's definitely not about stopping thinking. It's about remembering that we're focusing on something, the breath, the sensations in the body. And every time we go away, remembering to come back. Off we go, come back, off we go, come back, off we go, come back. And it kind of proceeds from there. Now, now you had taken many years off. You were meditating and into mindfulness, and then you took some time off, according to the book, and then you got back into it, and you had some challenges there. Why did you take that time off? Uh, because I was training first as in psychoanalytic psychotherapy and then as a Jungian analyst, as I said, and and I I kind of felt that I needed to find out who I was on a personal level before I began to let go of that story, which is all about me, <laughs> mm-hmm. and uh, uh, yeah, and I kind of found out what was was at the back of me you know that's what therapy does doesn't it if you do it long enough and deep enough you begin to find what all those forces were that come together to make you who you are Mm -hmm. but you know I got to the end of that and I really put a lot of energy into that and in the end I just thought you know who I am is actually constantly changing there's no end product here and 
I'm not even sure if I'm that happier knowing how I got put together. Um, so I just carried on searching, really, from there. And then I found myself going back to stuff that I'd been doing before. So, yeah. So what are the benefits, uh, Nigel? What benefits have you gotten out of your mindfulness practice? I'm not frightened of my emotions anymore. You know, I'm, I'm quite a thinky sort of person. Um, my first immediate reaction in the face of really uncomfortable emotions most of my life has been to want to run away mm-hmm. one way or another. And, uh, uh, and I think the thing which has come out of my meditation practice is that it's the realization that suffering comes out of the gap between how things really are and our not wanting it. And if we can turn towards how things are, how things are in ourselves, you know, this is a sad emotion arising. This is an angry emotion arising. This is an envious emotion arising. And just be able to sit there and allow it to be there without fighting it, without wanting to change it. Then we kind of make friends with ourselves. Mm-hmm. And I've had that experience. I'm not frightened of my emotions in the same way that I was frightened of them before. Um, this, so, you know, it's, it's like making friends with yourself, as simple as mm-hmm. that. Now, this this notion, I guess it's more in, uh, in Buddhist meditation about suffering. Um, what's your feelings about that? Um, when you think about it, I just read the book, the three book trilogy, Conversations with God, and it basically says, you know, you don't need to you know, pain and suffering aren't necessarily part of the program. And it's basically choosing, you know, use fe- choose fear, choose love, choose fear, choose love. And of course, there's a lot more to it. But it got me thinking about the whole idea then the Buddhist notion of the whole suffering aspect of things. And I started to ask myself, you know, maybe, maybe we don't, maybe suffering doesn't have to be part of the curriculum, although there is plenty of suffering when you're in the human form. What are your thoughts on that, Nigel? Well, I'm an empiricist and a pragmatist, and you know, Buddhism starts off with the observation that the world is full of suffering. Um, some of it is extremely acute. Some of it is just kind of low-level boring. Most of it is brought on by us you know, from the decisions we make for ourselves. Um, so I, I, I really don't think we can avoid that. There's never been a time in the world where there wasn't suffering. Um, the world is full of ideas about what to do with it. I think suffering is our first step, um, but not the last step. Now, how can we transcend suffering through mindfulness? Or can we? Or do we uh, simply contain it? That's an interesting question. Um, Mindfulness, when taught within Buddhism, definitely says that there is a place uh, where suffering comes to an end forever. It's called nirvana, Mm -hmm. awakening. And um, many times when I've been teaching in in the UK, I've I've talked to the audience and said, you know, do you really want to end your suffering forever? And of course, if we, if I really press an audience, then coming from a romantic culture which thinks that actually suffering is valuable because it somehow creates our sense of self, sense of value. 
the audience will say, actually, no, I don't really want to. I wouldn't really want to sign up for that. But, um, but certainly that's what Buddhism says. The whole point of Buddhism is to bring suffering completely to an end forever. Uh, mindfulness within a secular context, MBSR, mindfulness-based stress reduction, or MBCT, mindfulness-based cognitive therapy, there the goals are much, much kind of closer to the ground. So, you know, it's designed to reduce stress, to reduce depression and anxiety, help manage chronic pain. Um, and, I, and those are all really good places to start. And there's lots and lots of evidence that it can do just that. So, um, you know, maybe we don't need to become terribly transcendental immediately. Maybe we can just start with something small and see how we go from there. <laughs> mm-hmm. Maybe it's Look, good to always start small. <laughs> for the, for the, that's a great point. For the benefit of our listeners, could, could you just give us a quick 101 on the, the maybe the two or three or four biggest kinds of uh, mindfulness practices, whether it's Buddhist meditation, transcendental meditation, etc. Just, just a quick snapshot and definition of the different types for our listeners. Within Buddhism or over the entire spectrum just, just of meditation? Over, over the entire spectrum. Well, that's a big, that's a big request. Um, well, just, you know, the top three. Um, well, many people will have been introduced to something called a mantra meditation where you repeat a phrase endlessly, not endlessly, repeatedly for, for, for long periods of time. And that, because it involves us concentrating, will produce a, a deep, calm state. Uh, so that's one very, very um, common form. Okay. It comes from Hinduism, but you could repeat the name of Jesus and you would have a Christian form of, or the name of Allah, you'd have a Muslim form. The psychological mechanism would be the same, more or less, although or obviously like, uh, there'd be beliefs around it which would be very different. Or Om um, or something like that. Yeah, something like that. Okay. And of course, mantra meditation also exists in Buddhism, tantric Buddhism. Um Christians often talk about contemplation where a phrase um, from, the, from the Gospels is taken and thought about. So that's a more cognitive form. But also in Christianity, there are formless, non-cognitive forms of meditation. Um, I think Mother Teresa talks about when she prays to God, she, she doesn't say anything, she just listens. And then someone said to her, what does God say to you? And she said, oh, he doesn't say anything. He just listens also. And I love mm-hmm. that. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. That's so true. Uh, and observes, right? And, uh, uh? and observes. <laughs> yeah. And then Buddhism, of course, you know, has mindfulness as well as mantra meditation. It has mindfulness, which is being present with our experience just as it is in this moment. And, uh, uh, and basically trying to be present with it and not going into a big thing about changing it. What, what uh, do you, if you if you want to kind of uh, I don't want to say move up the food chain in mindfulness, but if you want to really be a success, <laughs> and that's the wrong word also, but if you want to enhance and make the most of your practice, do you need a teacher? Uh, yeah, I think you do. 
And there's a big difference between, I'm beginning to realize there's a really big difference between a technician and a teacher. Mm-hmm. So you can go and learn mindfulness from anybody more or less nowadays. And it's not such a big deal to be taught it. You know, place your attention on your breath. When you notice that your attention's moved away, just bring it back to your breath. Do that again and again and mm-hmm. again. I mean, that is the fundamental technique. That is the fundamental instruction. But, of course, what's going to happen next is that all sorts of things are going to begin to happen. And it requires a teacher who's actually experienced those things themselves um, to really help you through that. Now, that teacher may be somebody you can actually talk to in the flesh. Or it may be that that teacher comes through a book. I mean, there are some fantastic, you've got some fantastic mindfulness teachers in the States. Um, Joseph Goldstein is one of the oldest, and I've certainly learned a lot from his work, although I've never met him. Insight Meditation Society. Um, Jack Cornfield's another wonderful teacher. Um, uh, so, yeah, you need to teach. You need somebody who knows what it's like to have made the journey, who can then say to you, yeah, when you experience that, this is what you do. Mm-hmm. Which is a lot more than just learning the technique. Yep. How about, you mentioned in the book, Five Hindrances, uh, which I think uh, listeners would be interested in. You say desire, aversion, sleepiness, restlessness, and doubt. And uh, tell us about those a little, give us a little snapshot of those, if you would, please, Nigel. Yeah, sure. Those are the five basic hindrances to, um, to practice. So they go in pairs, don't they? So the first one is wanting. The first two are wanting and not wanting, grasping and aversion. And when we sit down to practice, most of us will find that we want a particular type of experience and we don't want another type of experience. And so we're immediately be at war with ourselves, trying to get the one we want and not get the one we don't want. So you can see how that's going to be a big problem because it's... Mm-hmm totally goes in the opposite direction of just being present with whatever we actually experience. Um, it's the opposite of equanimity. So that's the first two, wanting, not wanting. Uh, second two, sleeping and ag- sleepiness. I love the old-fashioned words for this, sloth and torpor. <laughs> and um, <laughs> and uh, what's the opposite? It is uh, jumpiness. It's 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 worry, anxiety, agitation. So you can see that if you look into your mind, sometimes you're really sleepy, you just want to kind of zone out. And other times you're so wired, you can't sit still. So it's obvious how those two are going to be really problematic. What we want is something a little bit in the middle where there's some alertness, but there's also mm-hmm. some calms. So we can just kind of find that spot in the middle. And then the last one's doubt which is, why on earth did I pay £240 for this wretched course on mindfulness when it's not going anywhere? Uh, I can't meditate. Everybody else in the world can do it, but I can't. That Nigel Wellings, he's a complete con. He doesn't know how to do mindfulness. (laughs) And he charged me £240. (laughs) What did he do with all that money? So, uh, (laughs) So that one's really corrosive. And, um, you know, we can either doubt ourselves or doubt, doubt the whole kind of venture. And that t- takes the bottom out of it and stops it going anywhere. 
We all experience these things. Mm -hmm. Our home meditation is full of this stuff. And people think that once I can get to the other side of it, then I'll be practicing properly. The truth is, practicing properly is being present with these types of experience and just being able to just notice them and be kind about them, not make a big deal about them, just kind of letting them come and go. So practice isn't beyond them. This is the practice working with these hindrances. Let's uh, just touch on, uh, because you mentioned sleepiness, and uh, I've fallen asleep while meditating a number of times, and I always feel like, okay, that's not a bad, I think, okay, it's not a bad thing. I fell asleep. Probably shouldn't, but, you know, things could be worse. So you mentioned also in the book you talk about sitting versus lying down. And I think part of the position is if I'm lying down, obviously it's easier, easier to fall asleep, though I have fallen asleep while sitting. I don't have a problem falling asleep like <laughs> many people do. Um, uh, so tell us a little bit about that, Nigel, the differences between sitting and lying down and what you recommend in terms of uh, meditation practices. Well, that's interesting. When we started teaching the courses, we've been teaching these um, MBSR and BCT kind of combined courts in Bath for 10 years this year, actually. And, um, and normally, the mindfulness-based stress reduction, I guess because it's to do with stress reduction, um, invites people to lay down for the first practice. But we have had rooms um, full of, you know, maybe six or seven people out of 15, 18, all slaying their snoring their heads off. <laughs> <laughs> they're not present they're fast asleep <laughs> so um so traditionally you know when you go to a buddhist retreat no one ever thinks about laying down to to practice because you just invite yourself to go to sleep mm-hmm. and we've had lots of funny questions um can i do my practice laying on my bed just before i go to sleep well you know the answer to that without me actually telling you that one uh so um I think if you want to relax, if you want to go to sleep, then laying down is fine. But if you actually want to remain awake and be present and you find that you are going to go to sleep when you're lying down, sit up. And, uh, and if you find that you're going to sleep with your eyes closed um, when you are sitting up, then open your eyes. So we don't encourage people to go to sleep. We encourage them to wake up. Um, let me, yeah, let me ask you it. this, Nigel. Um, what would be, because once, you know, a lot of times, uh, once we get started in our day, it's very yeah. easy to, if you haven't done your meditation, you haven't done it, and off you go. So for myself, the first thing I do, the second I wake up, I say to myself, and if I can mouth the words, I'll even do that, is, which is, I am, in, I am aligned with my truth. And uh, what I'm working on is to eliminate anything that's not part of who I really am and what I really am and my connection, if you will, and experiential aspect of being part of God, if you will. And that gets me going. And then I have a little meditation I go through as part of that and kind of like it's prayer meditation. And if I do that, that gets me in a calm mind and off I go for the, for the day. And I've been doing that for a couple of years straight. I haven't missed a day. And it really helps me because once I get started in my day, if I can, if I can carve out that half hour, I'll do it. And sometimes I just get busy doing other stuff and I don't get to it. And then it gets to the end of the day and I do a little ritual while, when I get in bed, uh, similar type of thing. 
And at least that way I bookended the day, something in the morning, something at the end of the day. What would be your thoughts and your recommendations to the people out there, the listeners who get busy with stuff and want to at least get started and to make sure they've done something, maybe something that you would recommend for the beginning of the day and the end of the day or not? That's up, I'm just curious as to what your thoughts are. I think they should do exactly what you've just said, actually. I think you've got a fantastic meditation habit there. Been Thank going you. Going for a couple of years. Yeah. Um, it sounds to me like you've passed that first milestone of not doing it when you fancy doing it. I or never miss. that you want to do it. Mm-hmm. You do it because it's your, it's, your, it's your ritual. It's your habit. And then the habit begins to get momentum, doesn't it, and carry itself along. It does. It and does. They, and then you begin to get a good experience from it. And the experience then strengthens it even more. No, I think I think do what you do. I think that's really good. I think that's really good. <laughs> well, I actually find I physically feel better physically. Actually, when I go through my little, it takes about ten minutes mentally. When I'm done, I feel better in the morning, and it gets me going on my day. And I know, okay, I've got check mark. At least I've gotten that. If I don't find that half hour to meditate, I've got that. And at the end of the day, it's pretty easy when you lay down just to go through two minutes of your own personal type of meditation and review for mindfulness to prepare yourself to go into a sleep state. Um, what, would be, what would be your tips? If you could give like three tips to uh, our listeners as to things they could do to kind of make headway with their mindfulness practice because you'd go on a deep dive. I mean, you've got a 300 page book about why I can't meditate and it's a deep dive and it's brilliant. You've got great people involved in it, but for the everyday layman who hasn't gotten there yet and is curious and interested and want, would want to pick up your book, what would be a couple of things they can do to kind of get themselves into that mindfulness practice uh, so they can experience the benefits of meditation and mindfulness. I think the first one is what you've just said. It's essential that you create a daily practice um, and that that practice gains some momentum. So that's number one, practice like you're cleaning your teeth. Mm -hmm. The second one has to be practice without ambition so that Great. you learn to Love it. learn to be present with whatever experience comes up, and you begin to learn to drop picking and choosing. So that's the five hindrances we were talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, what would be the third one? I think the third one is is to stop making it all about us. You know, it, our narcissism is so pervasive. Um, <laughs> So maybe we don't practice for us. Maybe we practice for everybody else as well. Mm -hmm. That's fabulous. Stop Mm -hmm. making it all about me. Now, (laughs) all about me is kind of boring at the end of the road, anyway. That's you know what? That's true. That's why I got married. I was too much all about me. I got sick of myself, and I got married. My poor wife has to deal with me now. But um, (laughs) (laughs) tell us us a little bit about it. I took pity on my analyst. That's why I gave up (laughs) being an analysis. (laughs) You know, I've never done analysis, and I I, I should do it someday. But I feel like I'm going to be such a narcissist if I do it, just talk about myself all the time. All I do is think about myself. So I figured, like, I'm not going to project that on anybody else if I don't have to. But um, tell us about some of the people – who contributed to your book? Yeah, they're a great, a great group of people. So um, 
I had um, here in England, you can study mindfulness, secular mindfulness, at three of our universities, Exeter, Bangor, which was the first one, and Oxford. And, um, and, I, and in the book, they're the heads of two of those university courses, um, Exeter and Bangor, um, Becca Crane mm-hmm. and uh, Willem Coogan. Uh, Stephen Batchelor, who I know, um, contributed quite a bit, and he's a he's quite a controversial name in in the Buddhist world because he's coming up with a Buddhism which he's trying to kind of take away some of the cultural um, stuff stuck to it from the past. Big controversial figure, but you know he's a nice guy and he's very pragmatic. Um, and then there were some Tibetan teachers of different species coming at it from different perspectives. And, uh, and my wife, actually, Philippa Vick, she contributed a bit. Fantastic. A mindfulness teacher and a psychotherapist. And uh, so, yeah, what I tried to do was get a group of teachers who represented every single um, perspective on mindfulness. And what was amazing, of course, was that there's an absolutely huge consensus amongst them. They're all proper teachers. They're not technicians. They really mm-hmm. know what they're talking about. They've been doing it for years. Um, Christina Feldman was absolutely excellent. Uh, and, and they all come up with the same stuff, you know. You, you've got to sit on your bottom. You've got to do it. You've got to give up picking and choosing. Don't make it all about you. Fantastic. Well, tell everybody, uh, all our listeners, Nigel, where they can learn more about you and where they can find your book, website, social media, all that kind of stuff. Well, I'm not a great one for all of this. So um, so if you want to find out, find out about the book, um, because it's been published in the States, I think, this April by Tarcher, this is what all these, these radio programs are about. Yep. It's been in England, out in England for a, a year now. Um, you can go to the website for the book, which is just simply whycantimeditate.com. Mm-hmm. And in that, why can't I meditate? There's no apostrophe for the can't, and there's no question mark after the sentence. So it's just simply why can't I meditate? Got it. Com. And uh, and there you can find links to my personal website if you want to know a bit more about me. Um, I do have a Facebook page, and my friend said you must get a Facebook page if you're <laughs> going to be writing the book. Must True. I? I said. <laughs> and they said, yeah, and a Twitter. So I resisted the Twitter more or less, but the website, but the Facebook I've got, and that's just simply Nigel Wellings. So Fantastic. anybody who wants to come onto that, they're most welcome. And um, and I stick stuff up and stuff that I'm mm-hmm. thinking about. It's it's not personal. It's 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 stuff about the mindfulness world. I've been mm-hmm. on a long journey with this mindfulness. I, the person I was when I wrote the book, it doesn't exactly exist anymore. He's changed. And I've got some different ideas now, and I put them on the Facebook, and it stirs up quite a conversation occasionally. So I would love, you know, people to kind of join that conversation. Well, good. Well, I just we just friended each other today, so I will make sure I keep up with you. Uh, so that's, that was the word I was you. looking for just then, friended. Yes, friended, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, you actually so, yeah. reach more people with Twitter. I don't really. Uh, I, I, it's more comfortable for me to do the Facebook thing, but actually, Twitter reaches a lot more people. So uh, keep that in mind, and you can if you can keep things down to 140 characters, and including a link or whatever, 
it's very it's very effective um yes it's just but, it's the, it's the discipline of knowing what yeah. finding those characters each day or every couple of days and knowing exactly. what to say i go mm-hmm. through long periods where i'm thinking about something and then it all suddenly goes bloop and kind of comes out in a rush yep. that's not kind of twitter twitter shape but i think about it <laughs> well you've been a fabulous guest and um your your book is excellent and it's really a great great topic and a very unique topic so thank you for contributing to that and sharing with our listeners i i would be remiss without asking you from a mindfulness standpoint the whole Brits thing because people are freaking out here in the states like oh no well you know we're going to end up with the Donald Trump as president and then the whole economy, the world economy is going to go down the tube. So what's, what are your thoughts? And what are the thoughts? What's going on there now? What's because everybody's watching the England and saying, Oh my goodness, what's happening. Oh, it's just really sad. If you look at, if you look at the vote in detail, all the places where, where, um, where, where staying, you know, there are places like London, Oxford, Cambridge, Bath, where I live, mm-hmm. is you know the the centres of education and um, and and leave came from a lot of people who were just socially desperate and and all the promises that were made to them, the bloody politicians who made them are already taking them all back, saying, well, we didn't exactly say that. That's not right. quite what we meant. So already we know that seven percent of the people who voted to leave. I've gone, oh, my God, I've made a terrible mistake. And right. 7% would have swung it the other way. Mm-hmm. So we have just made kind of a political suicide, really. And um, the forces of fear have taken over. Mm-hmm. Fear of racism. Right. So You've got your phone ringing in the back. Do you need to go I to know. No, 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 no. Um, so what can be done? Is any, can anything be done or is like, that's it? Well, it's interesting. I mean, it's a referendum, isn't it? And uh, uh, the um, our, our prime minister, by immediately resigning, has handed a, a poison chalice to whoever takes his place, because mm-hmm. that prime minister will be presiding over the disaster which is going to happen, and will be inevitably punished by the uh, by by everybody for doing it. So, um, you know, so the people who have won are not that happy to pick up the, um, the baton and run with it. So I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. Um, Scotland is threatening not to go along with it, which is great. Mm-hmm. So that could kind of throw a brick spanner in the works. I don't know. It's a mess. It's the most terrible, terrible mess. Nobody expected the Leave to win. It was just a kind of a trick amongst politicians. Can't trust them. <laughs> Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah, you know, it was interesting to me but, uh, when I saw the, the breakdown of the voting that the young people, the millennials, wanted to stay, and it's really their future. Yeah. And the disenfranchised boomers, you know, okay, we have the exact same situation in the states where the disenfranchised white, basically boomers, are like they're for Trump and everybody else is against them. And uh, yeah, it's just it's wow, it's scary. So hopefully uh, maybe this is a wake-up call in a good way. And uh, let's see what happens. Well, that's positive. Let's hope you're right. <laughs> let's hope you're right. I want you to let's, be right. Well, we'll, we'll have to meditate on it. Good luck on with it. your Trump. <laughs> yeah, really. 
Oh, I'm a New Yorker, and he's been around here forever. And for the people to, in my opinion, to believe what he's spewing is like, you have to be kidding me. This guy, it's like P.T. Barnum, and he's just, he does a lot of techniques where he repeats the same thing three times. And it's just, it's just amazing how people are buying into his lack of substance. Uh, and it's all about just the other person's wrong, the other person's wrong. And his simple, not thought out solutions are absurd. And I don't like to get into politics or anything, but when you have somebody who is that much of a lightweight, when it comes to understanding how things work, besides his own business, it's really scary. So hopefully the American people will come to their senses and hopefully what's happened in the UK will be a wake up call to say, hey, wait a minute, let's let's rethink this a little bit. So uh, we'll see. So maybe something good can come, come out of something that's uncomfortable. But let's meditate on it, okay, Nigel? Yeah, let's, let's, let's hope that we can find the courage not to be so frightened, not mm-hmm. to make everybody else wrong and not take responsibility ourselves, um, and to recognize that we're actually all in this together and we can't go it alone. Those, yep. are the, those are the big visions that may help us. Mm-hmm. Well, so listen. Thank you uh, for inviting me to your show. <laughs> and I'm sorry I kept you up so late, but you've been a fantastic guest, and uh, I really learned a lot. And it's a pleasure knowing you. And we'll uh, we'll stay in touch on Facebook. So thank you, Nigel, and best of luck with the book. And thank you, and thank you for everybody who's been listening to the program. It's brilliant. Thank you very much. Good night All to right. you. Cheers. Cheers. Bye. Bye. Okay, that was our guest, uh, Nigel Wellings, Guys Guys Radio, and um, hope you check out his book, Why Can't I Meditate? He's an interesting guy. It's a very interesting uh, book. Uh, I've gone through it, and I uh, really liked it, and he takes a deep dive, and uh, meditation and mindfulness are certainly a practice that both men and women should explore, and uh, if you can get, uh, as Nigel said, and we talked about some type of practice that you do on a daily basis, it can really make a difference in your your happiness and how you handle the day-to-day stresses of life. So that's our show for this evening. Um, We're off next week. As I mentioned, I'm going on vacation for about a week and then we'll be back the week of July. I think it's the week of July 11th. And uh, our next guest is Hans Christian King, the world known psychic. And we'll take some questions from our audience. I'll be posting the date of that show next week. In the interim, I've got a new blog post coming up in a couple of days. I'm taking on the whole aspect of marriage from when you decide to get married to what's the best way to propose, because I've been asked that to write about that and also just about being married. So I hope you'll enjoy it. Check me out again on robertmanny.com and you can find me again, Facebook, Twitter, the usual places on social media. So thanks so much. And remember that uh, guys, guys, finish first.